What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, uh, I'm going to apologize to the people in advance. We last spoke on Wednesday and I thought, okay, all right, Wednesday, I'm going to be I'm going to be good to go by Sunday. Body's mm-hmm. working through a little bit of cold. Thank you to everybody who uh, showed me a little bit of grace because obviously I did not sound my best. I want to sound my best for the people. That's the entire point of having a podcast uh, is to sound really good. And uh, yeah, three days later, four days later, whatever it is, I still do not sound my best. Still working through this just nasty, nasty cold, not COVID, um, just, just common cold. That's been really, really bad. So I, I just want to apologize to the people ahead of the week five pod. I know I don't sound like my normal self. Hopefully I will by the midweek pod, but I'm still a little hurt dog. Definitely a little hurt dog. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're heading to the injury tent, you know, you're playing through some stuff kind of like Derek Carr right now, but we appreciate having you here. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't often compare myself to Derek Carr, but in this case, I, I think I will, um, you know, just ultimate glue guy, not necessarily the, the light up the box score guy, but, Mm-hmm. enough to build around guys seem to just kind of just seem to kind of like him um yeah I, i'd say i fit the bill for that hopefully at least week five was good week five was um week five was really really interesting in the sec not sure that we feel like we have a ton of answers in this conference as we turn the calendar to october but we've got mm-hmm. seven games that we are going to roll through let's start with the one that um we texted throughout this game and mm-hmm did not finish the way that I think it did or the way that I thought it would after the way that it started LSU and Ole Miss. Holy cow. Um, it finally happened. Well, we got mm-hmm. a Lane Kiffin signature win. Do we, do we want to call it a Toby Keith game for Lane Kiffin? I think it qualifies. Um, I mean, so what this reminded me of a ton was the 2020 LSU Mississippi state game. Um, oh, I, don't think this said a ton about Lane Kiffin. Um, I really like this was a very typical Lane Kiffin game. I think the story is LSU giving up 55 points. I think at the end of the day, it's one of those things. And I found myself feeling exactly the way that I felt after that game, which is, is this the best quarterback we've ever seen? <laughs> is this the best offensive coordinator? Is this the best offense we've ever seen? No, this is a guy who is pretty good that LSU just decided to not cover for an entire 60 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they obviously made some plays and credit to them, but this is what Arkansas did, but Arkansas is not a good team, and Ole Miss is a solid team. I thought it was 2020 Ole Miss LSU. That, yeah, that's, that's another good one too. Yeah, except Ole Miss obviously on the winning side this time. They would have mm-hmm. been on the winning side last time, except they just didn't know how to tackle Kayshawn Booty at the end. Um mm-hmm. And instead, they found a defensive stand, which uh, kind of went against what I thought. I texted you early in the fourth quarter. I said, the only way that Ole Miss is winning this game is if it's on a walk-off because mm-hmm. everything else, the idea of a defensive stand, even when they gave the ball back with 39 seconds, Lane not even celebrating that touchdown, mm-hmm. as Chris Budden reported, that he wasn't even celebrating because he knew. He's like, oh, God. Now, 39 seconds, Jaden Daniels, got to guard Brian Thomas, got to guard Malik Neighbors, which – Somehow those guys weren't fixtures on those last drive on that last drive. Well, wait, let's let's start there because that okay, that whole game felt like a fever dream. And I feel like Lane getting the ball and they ran the ball like six straight times with like two thirty left. How disrespectful sitting, was that on a scale? It was well, okay. Like, so what it was, what it was was, and it was so funny because they knew they needed one shot play. 
LSU was just sending everybody deep in coverage because they knew they couldn't cover anybody. And so Lane was just like, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball. And the thing is, all they needed was one shot play. So it didn't really matter when that came in the in the sequence of everything. But I was sitting there and I was like, what are they doing? What are they doing? And like everyone was kind of like freaking out at the same time. But what they knew and what I should have known is that LSU couldn't stop a nosebleed. So it didn't matter at what point they got the shot play. You obviously like naturally want to get that quickly. They didn't care because they knew it was going to happen. Every time they tried to get somewhere, they did. So I say all that, but I still had a great time watching three, one, 100, no, not 100, 1,343 yards of offense, Whew. 104 points. I Will, I know I had a better time watching this game than you did simply because I did not have a dog in the fight. Even if, even Ole Miss fans, I don't know that Ole Miss fans had the best time watching this one despite the result. Well, that's the crazy thing. It's like I was texting you throughout. We were like kind of on the same page of like even when almost got down 14 nothing, like put the ball in Jaden Daniels hands and it was magic all night. And so, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's it's so wild because as angry as I can be at the adults in the room at like Matt House, Brian Kelly, those type of guys, the kids, especially on offense, only on offense, you know, were playing their tails off. And so it's like that's the thing. Every time an offense was on the field, which is everything but special teams. It was a great night. And yeah, I mean, like I loved watching uh, Jaden. I loved watching like Jackson Dart and like the cat and mouse game they were playing with LSU's hapless DBs. So yeah, I mean, every second of this game was electric. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss having 706 yards of offense. I look, it felt it felt like basketball. It felt like basketball on turf. I don't know who coined that phrase, but 706 yards of offense. <laughs> I can't just let you say 700. This used to be DBU. I used to watch games that were 17, 14, and we 700. I'm sorry. Over 300 yards in both facets, though. It wasn't just the passing game. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of the crazy thing. I hinted at a breakout game for Quinshawn Judkins with a 40-yard run to kind of get him going early. And look, I was wrong. Um, it was actually a 37-yard run that there got go. him going early. He had five runs of at least 10 yards after that. Kind of a vintage Judkins game. 33 carries, 177 yards. They were running that same cutback play down the stretch. Same exact thing. And they're like, oh, look, it's the same exact hole that's created. They're just going to run up the middle. And like Ole Miss is like, yeah, we don't think LSU can stop it. I mean, that that to me was just like the ultimate sign that this Ole Miss offense could do whatever it wanted when you're running the football like that. And obviously Lane is sitting there thinking – oh, crap, I need to get this down to zero as much as possible, while mm-hmm. also being like, well, I can't have this come down to a field goal. I was interested in how they were going to play that final sequence if LSU let let Trey Harris score on that play, or if it mm-hmm. was more of like, well, this is just LSU in open space. This is how bad they are at tackling. This is what it actually looks like. I don't know. I thought 39 seconds was going to be too much for Jaden Daniels. I was waiting for that that LSU game-winning touchdown, and uh, and it just never happened. And for mm-hmm. once, it feels like Lane was on the right side of, of a big-time victory. Jackson Dart was mostly good, mostly good, which, look, you put up 55 points, whatever it was, against a team of that caliber, you should feel pretty good. Um, this quarterback battle – is the it was the dudes who think they're being really tough, but really they just don't know how to protect themselves. <laughs> that Jaden so fumble was that wild. Is, <laughs> one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Well, in my life. that Jaden fumble, 
it was a glitch in a video game when that mm-hmm. happened. I was like, wait a minute, how, how is he so exposed in that spot? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, where Jaden like escaped two Ole Miss defenders and then he's like turning the corner. And then so I, I can't remember the Ole Miss defender who just came in and just absolutely oh it was, it was Dejan Anthony came in and just absolutely pops Daniels and you're like dude why how are you that exposed in the open field like how have you not been able with all the running experience that Jaden Daniels has and all the mm-hmm. times that he has had to protect the football in space knowing that guys just probably want to tee off on him it's still so weird that he has these lapses we talked about it with the Florida State game where he just thought he'd get hurdle in the middle of the, the line and nothing would happen to him. And you're just like, where, where, where is your mindset in these moments? It's like you do the, the Josh Allen part of my take always says he does like the mash, all the buttons, which I think Jackson Dark yep. does a little bit of that. He had the hurdle in, in the open field, which is pretty cool. Probably a dumb play in hindsight could have gotten him killed, but mm-hmm. like Jaden does the opposite almost where it's like, he just goes limp sometimes and forgets Mm -hmm. who he is on the football field. And you're like, you are the thinnest dude out here. You should not be exposing yourself to hits like that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's Gumby, right? It's the funniest thing in the world. Like he, I, my quote about Jaden Daniels is like, let me make sure I get the numbers right. Cause it's like, he'll turn a, a a three yard run into a 10 yard run and then take the worst hit you've ever seen in your life. And I've said that like 10 times about him. And like, that's why he ends up getting picked up by Jalen Carter. That's why like he ends up in all these weird situations because, and like that time it's obviously a turnover, but that's the funniest thing about Jaden Daniels. He has these hundred yard rushing performances and you'll watch them. It's just him getting the, the mess knocked out of him over and over and over again. And it's like part of it, you want to be like, dude, protect the football. But the other part of it, you're like, dude, 60 of these yards were like that. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to tell you to do. Cause if you fumble once in a game like that, it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> I know it, it really doesn't. I mean, it's, you know, you, you take the good with the bad with him at this point. And, you know, I don't want to dog him too much. Cause I, I still think he's playing at such a high level and it's fun to watch what he's, what he's done in the passing game. But that that's kind of why this is so frustrating for LSU. Like, I, I think playoff hopes are gone unless mm-hmm. it, it, these these things would have to happen. No, they they're gone, big dog. Bro, bro. Yeah, seven hundred six yards, bro. Yeah. <laughs> come on, bro. And, and look, you can't seven hundred six yards. You can't get waxed in non conference play like that. And then you know it's, it, it would be one thing if it came down to the final play or something like that. We're going to talk about Notre Dame a little bit later in Yarda. Yeah. Um, but like you know, where it's a goal line play at the end, it, it, you could picture what the selection committee is saying about that loss and how it could have gone one way and instead it went the other way. Like, no, no, no. That LSU Florida mm-hmm. State game, it was not one way or the other. And they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt in that regard. The only the only chance we're even having that conversation is if this is 2007 all over again. And then they – I know. Don't give I me know. hope. I know. I, I, I'm just I'm just saying. I know that's a mean thing to say to an LSU fan. But if it's 2007 all over again, it's chaos mm-hmm. everywhere. There's two lost teams galore. And then they beat a Bama team that goes 10-2. and two. They get to the SEC championship and it's twelve and zero Georgia, and they beat mm-hmm. them. Um, and even then, I'm still kind of like, eh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that I, I'd be willing to go out on that limb because look, it's just not anywhere close to a championship level defense. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. It, this well, is it's funny because you started with like, can you lose week one and make some kind of a championship? And I think we've only seen that once. That was like, can you give up no, seven or no, six yards? Zero. We've oh, never seen okay. a team lose in week one. We have seen two teams lose in September. We have seen one team lose a non-conference game and mm. make the college football playoff. Oh, I thought, wasn't it Ohio State, Virginia Tech? Didn't they lose one of those? 
that was that was the that was the non-conference game. That was it. Got you. Got you. Got you. And then Bama so, lost the other September game. And then other than that, those are the only two September losses. That oh, we've that seen wasn't week one. It was just like kind of same vibes. Yeah, but it's funny because like I was selling myself the hope people on that. Now it's like, dog, that's like a different kind of loss. That's like you could have one or the other. You could have your Lincoln Riley loss where you give up seven hundred yards and you forget how to play defense, right. or you could have the non-conference. You can't have both, brother. I mean, we could scare some people. Like we could still beat. And that's the funny thing: the SEC is not so. It's not like there's no scary team that we're seeing. So they could beat anybody, but not consistently. Mm-mm. Here's Yeah, and, and like there, there's still going to be a fun team to watch if you strip mm-hmm. those expectations down. If you can somehow – and I, the, look, I'm not asking the diehards to do this. Diehard LSU fans out there. They're you, trying to start Nussmeyer and fire Brian Kelly in one fell swoop right now, brother. Every time they lose, they're trying to do one of those two things. And look, the internet loves nothing more than than just totally clowning Brian Kelly after a loss. Mm-hmm. That's that's the favorite pastime on the app formerly known as Twitter. But I think that if you can strip expectations to it, mm-hmm. they're still going to be really fun to watch on a weekly basis for reasons that we saw play out last night in Oxford. But and here's the but. This group, Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, it is so special. I don't want to say it's once in a generation because obviously, look, Toro Chase Jefferson. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. twice. I am fascinated what the side-by-side is going to look like at the end of the season for that trio. And I'm not saying we're going to have it in the same breath as Burrow, Chase, and Jefferson. I think those numbers, if those guys stay healthy, will be closer than we think. Obviously, the Jane Daniels touchdown number is not going to be at Joe Burrow's level. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But maybe more so just the receivers. And uh, on a per-game basis, what that's going to look like. And look, those guys are all draft eligible. They're, and you feel like you have exactly what you could have hoped for in the mm-hmm. passing game, even in the offense as a whole, because I think Logan Diggs coming on the way that he has the transfer. I was about to say, I think he's as good, if not better than Clyde. I mean, that dude's an LSU running back. He, yeah. bro, as far as a downhill runner, yeah, he's the best since Clyde. Since Clyde, I'm very yeah, protective. Oh, that's of, easy, of, yeah. I'm very protective of college Clyde. Um, mm-hmm. but that, so like you're looking at that, going, man. It, it's just not a given. It's not a given. And Brian Kelly's had good quarterbacks in the past, but having a guy play at this kind of level where he's mm-hmm. in the Heisman conversation and all these different things, it feels a little bit like a waste from the LSU side, knowing how dominant that group is going to be. But there's they, they're still they're still going to win a bunch of games. They could still get to a New Year's Six Bowl if they go nine and three or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's still going to be a fun team to watch on a weekly basis. But just in terms of knowing that this was the most talented team that Brian Kelly has had coming into a season and looking at the fact that, as I predicted, I hate to say it, I got a lot of things wrong in the preseason. This one was one that I had right, was that they were going to have bookend losses in the month of September, knowing that you didn't get out Listen, of September. if y'all ever consider being friends with Connor, just know he does stuff like this. You're sitting there, your team gives up 55.700 yards, Connor just goes, hey, well, I don't want to say it, but I was right. <laughs> the most no. Larry David text message I've ever gotten about. Uh, just want to say. <laughs> well, what did I text you before that, though? What did I make sure to say you, before? You did say that? sorry, man. I'm just playing with you. Yeah. You I just, just sorry. sorry, man. That's, that's all you can say in, in that spot. Like, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to pat myself on the back because Lord knows I got a ton wrong um, since since the preseason. And one of the things maybe is that the Ole Miss offense is better than I thought it was going to be. Better than I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be. They have their moments, but... Um, anything else on, on the LSU side before I, I get into some, some positive vibes for Ole Miss? 
Oh yeah, and like I will say too, like I will definitely credit Ole Miss. I'm just obviously like what, like I said, I I like to be mad at adults in college football. I think there were just so many adults in the room to be mad at, and it's tough to watch. <laughs> this was the poetic end of this. You can just imagine how I think seeing this is like watching Notre Dame and Duke playing on my other TV. Two former Brian Kelly defensive coordinators locked yeah. in like a seven to thirteen game in the fourth quarter, and I'm sitting here and I was like. Can we just find another one of these guys? Every Brian Kelly defensive coordinator is good, except for Matt House. How has he found the only one bad defensive coordinator this dude has ever hired? He's here with the best offense that he's ever had, and like our second best to the Joe Burrow one. So yeah, I mean, it's it's just so freaking disappointing that we have decently talented players and are playing them out of position. We don't have the caliber of defensive back that we usually do, but often with when we had guys like Dave Aranda, we could scheme some guys that weren't great recruits and and make them useful pieces now it's like we need these super effective guys and we still make them worse so yeah i i will credit Ole miss but i'm just furious at at the lsu defensive staff because the offense is so much better than we could have even imagined and it just doesn't matter spates and perkins both banged up in this one you can't necessarily chalk up that <sighs> defensive performance to that obviously no obviously but still you're just like Wondering, man, where where is where is that that alpha dog that they that they need in that defense? They they do not have it. They do not have that guy that can just go get you a stop. Just go make a big time play in the open field. It's it's just not existed. They miss way too many tackles. That I would hate to have to be a defensive player in that film room after that game. Did you see Jai Eugene just going after Mason Smith in the middle of that game? I did not see that. Oh, that was so funny. He was basically just like, hey, I can say what I want. Mason Smith is overrated. He's not him. And just started like going at him over and over and over again. And I was like, wow. And then you kind of sit back and you think, and it's like, I mean, the D-line played great. And like, I'll get off LSU after this. But like the joke that I always told, I said this last week, is like, LSU has the defensive line that is so horrifying they will false false starts and holds and then give up a first down on first and 20. It's the most insane thing in the world. And like their D-line's getting pushed. But then as soon as it lasts three seconds, it's over with. So, yeah, I think there's a lack of leadership specifically from the adults. But then when you kind of get down, like these guys that we expected, Mason Smith, Held Perkins, to step up and be these leaders, these grown men that we got in the transfer portal are just not bringing it all together. It looks like a bunch of dudes that just met in the Walmart parking lot. All right, that's yep. it. No glue. No glue. <laughs> cool scene for Ole Miss. Really, yes. really cool scene. Fans rush the field. Lane was just spent after after that game. I don't know what's going on with Lane's hair right now, but it's a different <laughs> level of windblown crazy. It's been like that. I don't know if he's gotten a haircut since SEC Media Days, but I, I like seeing him in person. SEC Media Days and seeing the the, the mop top look. It's just so mm-hmm. disheveled. I don't know. Maybe this just fits his personality a little bit better. He's got like but, a Jim Halpert vibe going on a little bit. Like Jim like early his, Jim. Yeah, J- Jim before he actually ran a comb through his hair and was just, yep. At wake up in the shower, just kind of do the old like dog waggle out out, out of the shower, and th- that's that's what we're looking like today. We'll just mm-hmm. we'll just roll with it. Yeah, Lane Lane gets this win though, and a game that he had to avoid the alternative. Right, that that's mm-hmm. what I think was important. It just like last year, you could have very easily gone from being relevant to having legitimate expectations within the West to not being relevant in like an eight day stretch. And mm-hmm. in college football, that just hits hard. It really, really does. And instead, that offensive line shows up. I thought they played really, really well. We're gonna we're gonna have to break down some offensive line trends. But one of the ones that I've noticed this year, more so than ever, is that despite the disappointing offensive lines, I feel like we've been talking about. And again, I'm I'm hoping to get Cole on this week to to provide mm-hmm. more insight on that. 
the disappointing offensive lines, when they play at home at night, they end up just playing out of their minds. That, that, yep. that, that, that was the case, I thought, for Florida in that game against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I thought South Carolina last week against Mississippi State. I think you could point to the, that same Ole Miss offensive line, which has been a struggling unit, and they put together a 60-minute performance that was really, really impressive. I don't think LSU had a sack in this one. Yep. Which, that's the issue. That, that That's the issue. If you If you can have a quarterback that can move the pocket a little bit, and buy some time, you're going to be able to beat this LSU defense. And Jackson Dart, to his credit, was able to do that in this game. I think if you're Ole Miss, maybe there's a little bit of hope for you now. Maybe there's a little bit of hope that in a year that looks like the West could be open, or maybe it's just Bama and everybody else still, despite all that. And it's See, I still don't think that. I, like We talked about this going into this, this Mississippi State matchup. This is a dream for them because 2007. I... Throw that game out because LSU beat the snot out of Mississippi State too. <laughs> Bama still has to lose two SEC games though. That's that's yeah. the tough thing for 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 Ole Miss to be able to to get over yeah, that. Yeah, true. Yeah, because they have the tiebreak. That's fair. Yeah. So I I don't know. I but I I think despite all the weirdness after the month of September that's been how up and down it, it has been for all of these West teams. Really, I mean, think about it. Who hasn't had a really bad moment in the West? wherein they've been totally written off. Everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. has had that. And we go into October feeling like, yeah, you know what? If you're betting on a team today to win the West, it's still Bama, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's there's really a whole lot of debate about that. But cool seeing Jackson Darko on IG Live afterwards. And Ole Miss needed that. You need these moments to make the entire fan base feel really good and make perhaps the entire fan base feel like, um, it can rush the field and be stopped by one security guard. Did you see that video? Oh my yeah. God. That poor gentleman. Yeah. I, the, the elbow to, to the girl coming up. Yeah. Mm. Saving a famous scholarship on the spot. Look, a lot of SEC offensive lines that are struggling right now. COVID gives everybody eligibility. I, he's trying to put out some tape. That's all he's trying to do. Just get that tape out there. Get it in the right hands. Mm-hmm. He knows he's going viral because – that guy, that guy knew what he was doing. That, like, I hope not. Watch, watch that video and tell me. And I, I apologize. I don't know where exactly it originated from, but watch mm-hmm. that video and tell me that that guy wasn't doing that in part for comedic relief. Because if you were actually trying to keep people from storming the field, thousands of students, you're probably grabbing people or not just giving mm-hmm. them like a forearm shiver. Right? <laughs> I don't. He has gonna, built up rage. He just wanted to get it all out. I don't know, man. That that guy was that that guy was he, he was doing something. If he was a plant, wouldn't surprise maybe he was a student who just threw that on and we'll find that mm-hmm. out. I don't know. Somebody's gonna get to the bottom of that story. That's coming to uh an athletic story in the very near future. I bet SB mm-hmm. Nation or something like that. I, we'll we'll get that story in the very near future. Anything else uh on this game before we move on? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, it's it was just interesting because like we talked about um Judkins and it just felt like every time, you know, Ole Miss got to that second level it was over with i mean uh, bentley i feel like was a scarier runner on the day than judge than judkins and i feel more like juice. every more juice yeah. for sure yeah and like that's the crazy thing is that you know judkins kind of goes out and you're like and, and i mean that was the dude that that you know I, I was honestly like i said more scared of just because he would make that one cut and there was no one behind him so yeah i mean uh we've kind of you know i will i will say uh the uh, have we seen a game that has gone from people 
throwing stuff on the field to people rushing the field because that's what this game was. That's a good question. Oh, that's a good question. We need we need. And a- wait, let me go a step further. Let me let me go a step further. Remember that was on a free play. Okay. So Brian Thomas gets that touchdown. Whatever Robert Griffin says, anybody with eyes thinks that's not a touchdown. If that's ruled not a touchdown, I can almost guarantee you LSU wins this game because they get to subtract three more minutes off the clock to go do oh, something. And I realized that right after the game, I went, you guys don't even understand that scoring quickly is good right now. And like, cause I've never rooted for the other team to score as often as I did in this game. And I literally remember being like, well, yeah, we scored, but they get the ball back. And they're like throwing stuff on the field here. So I'm like, guys, it was a free play. There was no option of us not moving the ball after this. We have Jaden Daniels in a free play. <laughs> it was a remarkable play. Mm-hmm. I, I did agree with RG3 that I thought he was still moving the ball as mm-hmm. he was still securing the ball and still securing the catch as that play was happening. Obviously, nobody likes seeing stuff thrown. Um, Tennessee fans everywhere were just like, wait a minute. I was told that we were the only ones that have thrown stuff onto the field. Uh, look, yep. every, a lot of fan bases do it. Um, it's bad luck all around. I, yeah, I, I, I thought that was a, a very pivotal play, but just another reminder of Brian Thomas's unbelievably good and um that offense man it's it's still gonna be fun to watch it's still gonna be really really fun to watch both of these offenses if they finish the year outside of the top three in the sec i'd be surprised i'd be really surprised yeah so they will be but great win for Ole Miss. okay deep south's oldest rivalry what a game we got what what a game very different from the one that we just talked about in terms of scoring Mm -hmm. um got some wing t out there Love it. Love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to Auburn for not being a total doormat and showing that the odds makers knew what they were talking about. They, they did. Mm-hmm. Jordan hair was rocking. It was, it looked awesome. It sounded great. Perry was sending me videos. It looked insane. Miss me with the whole, this is how we need to revise this take, right? I hate the college football is best when these teams are good. That takes sucks. Yep. I, I hate that. I hate that. I love this sport. Even if Miami isn't winning 10 games or 11 games and competing for a national championship, I, I'm sorry. I prefer it that way. <laughs> yeah. trust, trust me. I'm doing just fine if USC isn't having a dynasty. I, I'm good yeah. if Nebraska isn't doing things that we've never seen before. Like, I, I will survive. Well, what, I promise you that. What you're signing up for there is bandwagon fans. Because, like, look, if you're – like, Clemson's a great example. Clemson does not really have bandwagon fans. They were this tiny fan base that, you know, got good. And, and now they've gotten bigger, obviously, and people have jumped on. But, like, what you're talking about when you talk about Miami, USC, Ohio State, these are fan bases of, like, fair-weather fans that when they're good, you're bringing people who don't know how to converse about the sport in. So I just prefer, like, more smaller brands winning. I don't know. Yeah, and, and here's where I'm getting with this. What mm-hmm. I, I think the take should be this sport is at its best – when great venues look like great venues. There we go. Yes. That's that's it. That's the take. That's what it should be. Because Jordan-Hare, that venue looked incredible. It looked mm-hmm. awesome on Saturday. And it felt like an, a truly intimidating road atmosphere. And you lose sight of the fact that this is a team coming off of consecutive losing seasons. Didn't make it to a bowl game last year. Tell you what. For Georgia fans who were worried about, eh, oh, man, we're – we're not really going to see this team pushed in the fourth quarter until until the SEC championship, until the college football playoff. That's gone. Mm-hmm. That's out the window. Wait, hold on. Let me say this really quick because that's a really, really good point. I think Jordan-Hare might by itself be the, the hardest, like the most home field advantage that a venue gives a team. Because if you look at like, yeah, okay, beating Alabama period is hard. Beating them in Bryant-Denny is a little bit harder. Usually beating LSU is hard. 
beating them in Tiger Stadium is a little bit harder. Auburn will go from a team that looks like trash to a team that can hang with anybody, that can roll Georgia when they had Jake Fromm, that can beat Alabama when they're in Jordan Hare. <laughs> I agree with that. I, I think there's something you said for that. It's so hard to to calculate that because there are a lot of really, really good programs that have awesome venues. And so right. you're, you're thinking to yourself, how much better is this program getting because they're really good? I would put Neyland in that category as well. Um, I, look, Neyland? I, I still think it's one of the most intimidating atmospheres possible. And there, there are a lot of people where if you ask them toughest place to play in the SEC, they'll give you one of those two stadiums. They'll give you one of those two. I, I'm not speaking on, on experience. I'm saying just in terms of, that venue, given night, it is mm-hmm. rocking. And we we talk about how big of a factor that can be. I definitely thought that that was a factor. And look, if you want to do the thing where you're like, oh, Georgia didn't have any false starts. Georgia won this game. Um, I still think that played, played a part in it. And Auburn fans mm-hmm. deserve a lot of credit for that. They absolutely do because they showed up despite the fact that their team looked like Basura last week. Basura. Mm-hmm. But Georgia, little did we know. That this two-time defending champ chasing down the great Ed Widseth, 1936 Minnesota. You're trying to become the first team to repeat in 87 years. Little did we know, Will, that they would be staring at a double-digit deficit in the first half each of their first two SEC games. Nobody saw Against that. not good teams, per se. <laughs> Against uh, teams that, look, I mean, you're you're multi-touchdown favorite. That's par for the course for Georgia. But still... They have had to dig deep in these first two SEC games. Championship response, once again, from Georgia. I thought, if you're looking for the positives on the Georgia side, Carson Beck really grew up. Really, really grew up. Felt like we saw down the stretch the guy that, or at least I felt like I saw the guy that I was falling in love with, with what what I saw from him, the reps last year that he took, some of the spring game stuff, the way that he was talked about, and what he was comfortable doing, working the middle of the field, being poised, understanding pressure. It, he he turned to those key guys when it counted. It was so great to see Lad McConkey back in this Georgia offense. His value is so unbelievably obvious. He blocks downfield. When it's third down, his first three catches were big, big third down conversions where Carson mm-hmm. Beck goes, I know I've got Lad McConkey on the sideline. I'm not, I'm not going to expose him to some big-time hit or anything like that as he's working through his back injury, but that guy can still break off a route. He can still go make me a play, find Slab McConkey, but then it turns into something that, look, we only have a few months left of this, so we need to appreciate this. Mm. But the Brock Bowers show. Oh, my God, bro. When you saw my face, like you said something about Carson Beck and my face went like that. It wasn't about Carson Beck. I was reading down this box score, and I saw Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers. <laughs> is less human than ever. So many moments in this game. The game when he catch and run is what, that's the headliner for, for this one. Big time play. Um, but I will remember the consecutive plays wherein he made a one-handed catch in traffic. And the, the second one got waved off because they didn't have enough guys in the line of scrimmage. But unbelievable, just unbelievable. The man had 148 receiving yards in the second half, Will. A tight end had 148 receiving yards in the second half. And now you say, all right, well, he only had two catches for nine yards in the first half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm going to call it. I'm going to say right now. The race is over. We talked about this 
six, seven months ago. That is the best tight end in college football history. Right there. Oh yeah. He 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 is my goat. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue for anybody else. Not only did he move into a tie for second place on Georgia's all-time list for career touchdown catches, did that as a 20-year-old tight end. No big deal. Can't even buy alcohol legally yet. Can't even go back to wine country and legally <laughs> sip on a little bit of Pinot. I don't know if that's big in his region, his specific mm-hmm. region, but you get what I'm saying. But what he does blocking still, I continue to be amazed by it. That touchdown that Dejon Edwards had where they tied it up at 17-all, he blocked like his job was on the line. That guy seals yep. the edge, and he's out here busting his tail in a game that Georgia has to have. You can't lose these games knowing what's waiting on that schedule, even though I do think Georgia would get the benefit of the doubt. This is a game that you're like, look, I, I need to flip it into overdrive. And there is just no way. You might keep that guy quiet for a half, and you might look at the box score and think, oh, you know, we held Brock Bowers to three catches for 35 yards. He's going to have some games like that. I, I get it. But that guy's floor and what he does for a team and the way that you have to defend him, the way that you mm-hmm. have to account for him in the running game, all those different things, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable, and there aren't enough words to do justice. Like, I actually thought his performance in this one reminded me most of the 2021 SEC Championship, a game in Georgia mm-hmm. lost. Last game Georgia lost, yep. 665 days ago. A game mm-hmm. that he looked like the only one that should have been on the field in the fourth quarter against Alabama. And it, that's as mm-hmm. a freshman tight end. <laughs> it, it's just it, – it is just insane. It, it is like – Auburn had no answer. Auburn had no answer for him down the stretch. Zone coverage, man coverage, whatever. Brock Bowers is going to get his your one hand, two hand, doesn't matter. He's he's unbelievable. He is just unbelievable. He is one of the best players this conference has ever seen. It's as simple as that. I it's so funny because with everything you just said, the, my favorite Brock Bowers moment was a different one. And all you know, all of this is true. There was a moment as he started to get going where they threw him a pass in the open field. He threw a dude to the ground. Another Auburn defender is chasing him. He has like open field in front of him. And the dude tries to punch the football out. And I literally say to myself, you fool. This dude jumps on Brock Bowers' back, starts trying to one-harm punch the ball out. Brock Bowers just does not break his stride. He's like running forward with this dude on his back trying to punch the football out. And the dude realizes like, I, this isn't going to happen. And like changes his center of gravity and slowly brings Brock Bowers down after like another six yard gain. But I was just like, he's already caught the ball. All you can do is try to contain him now. He's not going to turn it over. <laughs> yeah, there was a, it was, I'm not sure if that was the same instance where he was taken to the ground and they reviewed it repeatedly. And it was very, very obvious on first glance. Brock Bowers not fumble the football. He did not. Oh, this is different. Yeah, he had this thing in. Like, yeah. I think that's that's the only the only hope that you have is to try and punch the ball free from his hands or or whatever. Uh, look, you could do that with Oscar Delp, as we saw in the first play of that second half. That yeah, you doing guy. that with Brock Bowers? You're you're not yeah. doing that with him. Um, but just simply incredible, a guy that Georgia is so lucky to have because he covers up so many of their their issues right now. Wrote about that on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Shameless plug. Go check that out. This Georgia run defense, Will. I don't want to take any credit away from Auburn because Hugh Freeze, he stuck to You're the You're telling one. me Peyton Thorne's not the most explosive athlete in the SEC? <laughs> 61 yards later, he just might be. Hugh Freeze stuck to the one-dimensional attack 
that I hoped he would. And he took play calling duties back. If you saw what Gary was saying, took him back from Philip Montgomery. Who knows if that's going to be a week by week thing, how that's mm-hmm. going to work out. Maybe it's just like, Hey, this big time game, I'm going to, I'm going to run the show. That group blocked really, really well. It did, but it felt like Georgia's run defense was, Oh crap. We didn't seal the edge. And it's Javon Bullard trying to track down a ball carrier from behind in space. That, mm-hmm. that was the Georgia run defense in a nutshell. And worth noting that aforementioned Peyton Thorne yard or Peyton Thorne, 61 yard run. Jamon Dumas Johnson uh, was off the field. Seth Emerson pointed that out still uh, it's Georgia. You should have enough guys to prevent Peyton Thorne from having 61 yards. How camper. many five stars does it take to stop Peyton Thorne in the open field? <laughs> the dude was shot out of a cannon. Um, this group has problems. It does. It really does. Any Georgia fan could watch that and say, well, that's not right. That's not normal. Most rushing yards allowed by a Georgia defense since 2018 at LSU game that Mm -hmm. you remember very, very well. LSU dominated that day. That was better. That LSU team better than this Auburn team. We can say that with certainty. Uh, Yeah, just just a little bit, probably Uh, a couple of guys on that LSU team. It's 2018, not 2019, but still. Um, Well, I think Auburn should finish with one of the better run games. Think about this. When was the last time that we thought, yeah, you're going to have a chance against Georgia. Just run the football. I don't know what that means for next week because (laughs) we're going to get to Ray Davis in a second here, but Mm -hmm. that, that is a big, big problem. How concerned are you about the Georgia run defense? Uh, I mean, I'm just generally a little bit, gosh, here I go. I'm just generally a little bit concerned. Like, it just feels like they're a team that just feels like they're sleepwalking. And like, we talked about like Alabama's not, okay. You know what? Let me take a spec. What would you say? This is like not a rhetorical question. What would you say Georgia's great at right now? I would say Georgia's great at having Brock Bowers. Um, <laughs> Employing? Have, I would say, us, yeah. you know what? Here's, here's all I'll give you. I think Georgia's great at overcoming slow starts. Yep. That's that's a real championship trait. That is mm-hmm. not panicking. They're they're comfortable. I, I'm gonna have to do the uh, maybe this will be a midweek thing for me that I'll that I'll dig into ahead of the Kentucky game. But amount of time played from tied or a deficit this year compared to the last two years combined Man. and what that number looks like. Um, but it's it's significant. It's it's really significant and. I think I think that's a good trait. And if you're telling yourself, yes, this is still the best team in college football, they're having to work through things that we thought they weren't going to have to work through until late November, early December. You're selling yourself on that. But defensively, I think they defend the pass very, very well. Didn't have to see it in this game, though. And when you have, I don't know if we have evidence of that, honestly, because for a half against Spencer Rattler, they didn't do it, and then they just point. didn't play a quarterback on Saturday. <laughs> so. Yeah, they, they they played a team that what? How many completions did Peyton Thorne have? Six in this game, and Auburn had a chance. Uh, to he win. had he was ten of nineteen. So overall, they were eleven of twenty. I think it was like six going into that final drive or or something. Oh like that. yeah, that's or, a good like point. Yeah, down the stretch, but you're right. You're still trying to figure out what is what is that thing that they are elite at on the defensive side. I, I wouldn't want to go pick on Malachi Starks. That guy's playing at an extreme level. When they dial up the right pressures, it's pretty difficult to watch. Peyton Thorne would have been a sitting duck back there if they had decided to let him throw the football 20, 25 times in that game. But you're right. You're still trying to figure out what is the thing that we are best at. A lot of teams in college football right now 
feel like they are asking that very question heading into October. Oh, I know that one. Oh, no. But anyway, you know, what's crazy about this is that Georgia started off as this team that would like kind of be like the mirror of the guy pointing or the meme of the guy pointing himself in the mirror is like you could do this. They would lead a game for 97% of it and then blow the most crucial 3% of it. And then they became a team that dominated the whole 100% of it. And now they're starting to lose the early part of it, but they only have that dog in them. Like what they lacked for the whole first like three or four years is all they have left. So they're just like, all right, we're going to give up 14. Kirby's going to scream at us. Like the, the, I want like a premium as an, listen to me, University of Georgia, as an LSU fan, I will pay you one to $200 for a live stream of Georgia's locker rooms at halftime. I'll do it right now. I want to see what Kirby says from here on out, because that's, I think you're right on the money. I didn't even think about that. Adjustments is what they're great at. I don't think her. I think Herbie has adjusted his expectations. Yeah. I, 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 I think he has. And, and this is who Georgia is until further notice. They're mm-hmm. not going to get the style points. If, if you're sitting here ripping them for not winning by, by more points, I get it. And we can point out the flaws that this team has, because if we're talking about a team that's coming off of consecutive national championships, comparison is, is natural. We, it's the thief of joy. It's also kind of necessary with what we do here in this sport. It's like kind of what we do, yeah. But at the same time, I think Kirby's kind of understanding where his team is at and the relief that he has shown. Perry sent me the video where Kirby in the post game looks so relieved when he takes off his visor and just throws it to, to the Georgia fans. And he's trying to figure out the ways in which this team can hit that top gear. And even last year, even last year, we kind of wondered when was that top gear going to show up? It was a little bit different because we had flashes of it in the, in the early on. Georgia has not had a game like what they did in the season opener last year against Oregon. That that has not happened yet for this team. And I think it's now fair to say this team has an advantage each and every week because of the things that they've worked through and the talent that they have and the championship experience. And hey, when you've won, what, 22 in a row now it is, um, you know how to win a football game. We're, we're not going to question that. But to expect 28-point victories and anything less than that is, oh, what's wrong with Georgia? I think at this point, we kind of need to move past this. Georgia's concern also shouldn't be staying at number one. Georgia fans, don't get offended if media members at this stage of the season, five weeks in, opt not to put your team at number one, Florida state, Ohio state, Texas. And now look, I don't really like the Michigan conversation. If you're saying Michigan's better than Georgia, I don't, I'm not there yet, but all of those teams in theory probably have what would be considered better wins. I don't know. Actually, you know what? Scrap Michigan. I'm not including Michigan in that conversation for Rutgers and Nebraska. Screw that. Yeah. But those first three Florida state, Ohio state, Texas, they have the quality wins. Your mm-hmm. team doesn't have that yet. Your team against Power 5 competition has played very, very tight games. Take the good with the bad. Understand that it's not about being ranked number one right now. And if you lose votes, it's not disrespect. It's just reality in this sport. That's the way this works. Yeah, it's the classic, like, you see this, right? Like, it's the classic, like, you guys are screaming at Mike Bobo one minute and then celebrating Brock Bowers the next minute. Like, 
the voters are doing that, but they're not Georgia fans. <laughs> so it's like, you see this product on the field. Again, we're with you. We think you should be number one. We aren't voters, really. Um, so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't super matter. But like, it's one of those, like, you just got to understand. Like, it's like, if this team had Stetson Bennett, if they had like some of those faces, you could see. But they're just figuring it out. I still think they deserve to be number one. But, you know, you're in two, you play two SEC games close against two teams that have combined to win one other SEC game against Mississippi State. So like, this is kind of where you're at right now, but you're still number one. So enjoy it. I'm still not sold on Bobo, but I loved what he did down the stretch with Brock. I I, I mm-hmm. thought that was that was the most Munkin like stretch that he has had all season with getting him in space. Some of the routes that they were doing with him, it was just like there there's it, part of that is scheme. It's 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 Brock. He's incredible. He's an all time all time player in this sport. But it's also some of the things that Bobo was doing with him. I'd be remiss if I didn't give give him a little bit of credit for the things that he was doing with him and the way that Carson Beck was executing that. Okay. Florida, Kentucky. Um, Will, by the time that you finish listening to me say the sentence, just assume that Ray Davis has another big run against Florida. Just assume. <laughs> All right, probably. Front of the man, that dude, it is it is becoming October. It is now October 1st as you say this. That man, Ray Davis, is like Michael Myers for, for, for Billy. I'm telling you, that he was the leading running back in the Vandy game last year yep. that they lost. And then he transferred. This man went 2-0 and against Florida transferring from Vandy to Kentucky. Think about that. This man is a nightmare for Billy Napier. I'm just glad that he wasn't preseason all SEC. Um, look, shout out SEC StatCat who told me that I was stupid to to bang the drum for a guy like Ray Davis. Clearly the players just not, not at that level. Um, all he did was run for more yards than any FBS player has in a game all year. 280 rushing yards, no big deal. Against four run defense, that, that was pretty good coming into this one. I think they were 15th in the country. Kentucky had the best run defense in the SEC coming into this one, but I think Florida was pretty close behind them. And as crazy as it is, this is not something I've said a lot in recent memory. I, Big Blue Wall had a day, best mm-hmm. day that they have had in two years. And Ray Davis wanted to give all the credit to them, obviously, said that he was he didn't have anything to do with that. It was just all them. It was just all them. They created some nice holes for him. There's a lot of situations where big hole up the middle, make one guy miss in space. Florida doesn't feel like tackling. Boom, off he goes. That was kind of the day that was for Ray Davis. I'm going to – I don't like to say this very often, but on a much, much smaller scale, Will, mm-hmm. I thought the catch that he made, little bit of shades of Clyde Edwards-Alaire against Bama with what he did on the sideline that play. Mm-hmm. Not, not quite at that level – but making a couple of guys miss in space and then dragging a defender into the end zone where you think this is going nowhere and finding a way to make that work. The leg drive, man, Ray Davis is, he's a different cat. He's, he is awesome. He was completely the difference in that football game. Definitely was not the Kentucky passing game, which continued its struggles. Those receivers are having issues. Barry and Brown had the really, really oh. bad drop in the end zone. Dane key did not have a particularly good, good day in this one, but Liam Cohen, doppelganger, the doppelganger recognized the need to feed Ray Davis. If he didn't feed Ray Davis in this one, right, look, I, there there would be no defending of Liam Cohen. Uh, everybody and their mother, including every Florida fan in existence, saw that he was just a walking chunk play every time he touched the football. All you need to know about this game, if you did, if you didn't see it, you were doing some noon stuff. You're doing a little. It was funny. Season. Check it out. Watch the, watch the highlights. Sure, sure. If you're, yeah, unless you're a Florida fan, in which case I don't recommend that for you. You're just gonna pull your hair out. Maybe you're doing a little spooky season shopping. You know, it's a noon kick or something like that. You're, 
you're getting it lined up for the 330 game. Maybe you're traveling or something like that. All you need to know, Florida lined up for a goal line play to defend Kentucky. And it had 13 defensive players in the field, Will. And mm-hmm. they still did not stop Ray Davis. And they still allowed a gentleman to score his fourth touchdown of the day. <laughs> not great. Not great. When you can't even do it with 13, uh, nope. That's uh, – that that's that's not necessarily going to be something that you feel particularly good about if you are a Florida fan in this one. Uh, the the Florida performance. Actually, you know what? Let's start with let's start with the Kentucky side. Great for Mark yeah. Stoops. Great for Mark mm-hmm. Stoops. Kroger Field, as predicted, was ready to roll. I don't know how many cold beers they had. Uh, probably the over sixty one thousand probably hit. That is now four of six that Kentucky has taken from Florida three in a row. They have as many wins against Florida in the last six years as they had in the previous 43. Man. That is totally changed. And they're the unlike- big kids now. They're the they're the big kids in the block. And like I, I said that a little bit in the preview, which is just that like, you know, this meant this mentality of like, oh, we're Florida, we beat Kentucky. You still beat Tennessee at home, but this is the better team than you. And this, I mean. Kentucky has been the second best team in the SEC for a minute. And like, you know, when it comes to like in, Georgia in the and them. In the East. In the, it's, sorry, sorry, sorry. In the East. In the division, I mean. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and yeah, like it's like Georgia and then them. And it's been pretty consistent. Like, yeah, teams have coming on, but it's like they're always right there. And and the hard wall is always found by Florida when they try to sneak into that second spot. And Kentucky's like, no. Yeah. They, look, Kentucky owns Florida until further notice. And the crazy mm-hmm. thing about this matchup, Kentucky fans know this all too well. You didn't even have to sweat this out. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a two-score game for for a minute there. And there were probably, as I tweeted, a lot of Kentucky fans saying, nope, I need to see that clock hit zero. I don't care if it's a three-score lead. That Florida will find a way to score a 20-point touchdown. They'll do it. They'll do it because that's what this rivalry has been. For so mm-hmm. many of these Kentucky fans, the vast majority of, of their lives has just been house of horrors, heartbreak, 30-year anniversary of 30 year anniversary of Doring's got a touchdown. I missed that in the preview. Should have had that there. Shout out CD. Um, but man, I I just thought that that was that was really dominant. I, I still have really similar concerns for Kentucky with the lack of continuity in the passing game. And mm-hmm. if you're thinking this is far and away the number two team in the East, I'd say mm, I'm not really willing to get there just yet. But the good news for Kentucky is that a Mark Stoops coach defense and Brad White, who is one of the best coordinators in the SEC, mm-hmm. I still think that that group plus this massive question mark, the Kentucky offensive line, has at least shown now, hey, we can dominate in an SEC football game. How many times did they do that last year? If any, none. And I guess the team that historically has had that advantage against you, that's a good thing. 5-0 and heading into Georgia with five wins by double digits. Life could be a whole lot worse for, for, for Kentucky. Life could be a whole lot worse as we sit here and breathe heading into October. Yeah, it's it's funny because, like you said, from almost the beginning of this one, it was pretty much over. And I think that, you know, this is why I like to key in on, like, all stats are not the same. All games are not the same. Like, that's why I'm just not the biggest of stats guys in college football as far as advanced stats. But it's like their games, like, okay, again, LSU almost perfect example. They could have, you know, think of the worst running back that you can think of. Almost could have played him, and he could have gotten at least 60, 70 yards against LSU. 
This was a Ray Davis game. Yep. Two very different games. Like, Ray Davis came out of the game, and they could not move the football. It was not like, oh, this is a nosebleed. Oh, like, it doesn't matter. They're not covering anyone. It was – we got to a point where it was like – I mean, he had like 200 yards in the first half. It was like, you, we know that we're going to use Ray Davis, and you know that we're going to use Ray Davis, and you can't stop us. And that is like such a special, special performance because a lot of the times when guys start getting up into those like high 200, it's because the defense is bad. And this defense was bad on Saturday. Don't get me wrong. This is, this defense has been, you know, a little bit exposed, but it was the fact that they got pushed around and, and a single, the offensive line was amazing and a single running back like kind of made them pay for it. And like, and I'll, I'll say this and like get on, but you know, it's so funny. Like these two programs, like they match up every year and, you know, when you, when you lose, it was like, what, 87 to 2017? It was what they said? It was uh, – they lost every game. It was 31 straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, eighty. It was 87 to 2017. That's what it was. Yep, like, yep, yeah. yep. So it's like you have, like, mentally this image of these teams in Florida. It's like we got this great recruiting class. We have all this talent. We're like da-da-da. And then you see this game from the jump become a Mark Stoops – circus where it's just like okay we have a vandy transfer we're in kroger field it's noon guys are chugging beers weavers out there like having these devastating sacks and it's like i mean barry and brown is like dropping the ball that just doesn't matter because they're just running florida over and you're just like this is a specific kind of hell for a specific kind of fan which is the we've sold ourselves that we're so far above this program and then they just come in here and knock the snot out of us for 60 minutes explosive play margin it's 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 favoring Kentucky. It is continuing to favor Kentucky. That is mm-hmm. the thing that, despite their flaws, they are going to hope benefits them in the latter half of that schedule. As for Florida, Florida, correct me if I'm wrong here, they have looked like the same exact team in their two road games. Yep. This this was the team that we saw against Utah. So sloppy. So, so sloppy. Jumping over the shield? Uh, that was the same exact play as the two number threes against Utah. Maybe a little bit less embarrassing. Less embarrassing. I'll give them that. But I give them credit. They are creative. How they're they're fighting we're gonna watch Florida on a weekly basis and they're gonna commit a special special teams penalty where you're gonna you're gonna look around in the room that you're watching it and go, What 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 was that? Does everybody know what that is? You're gonna have to pull up the old Google and, and, and mm-hmm. look this up. Yeah, just bizarre, but in devastating, absolutely devastating. You think you're getting off the field. You think you're getting a short field and boom, just like that. Kentucky, instead of punting from deep in their own territory, just like that touchdown. And that totally changed the complexion of the game. Um, when you get out rush 329 to 69, you got smoked in the trenches. There's no way around it. You got absolutely smoked. Florida just did not show up like a team that looked like it cared about tackling. Maybe they, it would have been cool to tackle, maybe push guy out of bounds, but in terms of actually breaking down on the open field, strapping on the chin strap, and being good to go, nope, Florida was not that. And Graham Mertz, look, not necessarily the reason you lose that game, but his start was terrible. His start was so bad. Oh, dude, but his completion percentage was so good. But look, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Cause I've been seeing that in every dude, his completion percentage is yeah. He was 25 for 30 and look like, yeah. Okay. And I think there's something to be said for that, right? It, it, as long as you, as long as you have the right context with that and understand mm-hmm. what he's being asked to do in the Billy Napier offense and why it differs from the execution standpoint that Anthony Richardson lacked at some key moments last year, as long as you can mm-hmm. kind of understand it with that, that's fine. But you see the flaws that, that he has in this game. His 
he missed three guys to start the game. Mm-hmm. Three guys in very bad ways where he missed a chunk play on like a throw that would have gone for at least 30. He just overthrows a guy that had nobody within 10 yards of him. He had that pick where if you're going to be inaccurate, you can't be inaccurate over the middle with defenders draped around a dude. Um, like, I don't know. Kentucky, when, when Kentucky's getting in the backfield like that, much like Utah did in that season opener, forget about it. Mertz is not the guy that you want in that spot. And I thought... Mm-hmm. Look, you could probably point to a few instances in this game that maybe it doesn't get out of whack early. The the jumping over the shield penalty is probably one of them. But I thought that holding penalty that called back that long ETN run early was pretty significant as mm-hmm. well. And Florida's just not built for that script. That's just not who they are as a team at this stage. Ricky Pearsall eventually became involved, but not in any sort of take over the game type of way. It was more of like... Mm-hmm. This is why this guy is one of the best receivers in the SEC. He's going to be able to get his, even in a tough matchup against Maxwell Harrison. Maybe they, I think they were doing a bit of zone coverage on him as well, but they did mostly a good job being able to kind of contain him. Florida had, wait, real quick on Pearsall. I will say, like, we talked about this a little bit. This is like a deeper convo, but it's like, how, there are so many teams in the SEC that have such a perfect receiver and quarterback combination. And I think Pearsall and Mertz is such a perfect combination because you put anything near him and he catches it. And that play on the, like, the play against Charlotte and that play on the touchdown was such a perfect example of, like, Pearsall down there somewhere. And it's like, yeah, that's why the completion percentage is so high because you have this dude who can catch anything, but you can't just make that your whole offense, dude. Yeah, you can't. Florida needs to be able to run the ball better. The mm-hmm. frustration with the ETN touches early. I was right there with you. I was getting ready to fire that up. And then mm-hmm. ETN, it was like Montreal Johnson had like seven touches out of the gate when ETN had one. And I'm like, what What are we doing here? How are we still at this place? How does, how does Billy Napier still not recognize that you need to be feeding ETN a whole lot more? I don't care if he had a, a run call back because of a holding penalty. Like It's that. not his fault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a little bit, it was tough sledding for him. Uh, still though, like this Florida offense, it just has a lot of limitations. Florida had the the September that I thought it would have. Mm-hmm. It played out exactly that way with the losses bookend to Utah and Kentucky. You go on the road. You're a different team at home. You win that game against Tennessee, against physical, well-coached teams on the road. Think about it. Kyle Whittingham, Mark Stoops. They they struggled. They, they are not at a place to beat those teams yet. They, they just mm-hmm. are not. In this phase of the Billy Napier era, they are not there. They're a different team at home. They just are. They're much better defensively. They look like they fire off the ball a lot better. And I know the Charlotte game wasn't particularly great from a running standpoint, but still Florida has now lost four consecutive road games. That includes the Vandy road game last year. Here's the stat though. And here's what we need to keep in mind as we evaluate, as we project this team moving forward away from home under Billy Napier, that includes neutral site games. That includes George game. That includes the bowl game. Mm -hmm. They're one in seven. Only game that they won was a game that I thought they played really well last year at AM. Still, it's team mm-hmm. that went five and seven. Gets <sighs> quality competition on the road. You can't trust them. You just can't. That has to change. The discipline that they lack, gap discipline, penalties, what whatever. I mean, it, it, it is just so unbelievably obvious. And you look at the games they have remaining that are away from home. And this is why their projections were so low. And there was a reason why there were a lot of people saying Florida, yeah, like, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth in the East. You have road games at South Carolina, at LSU, at Mizzou, and then obviously the neutral site game against Georgia in Jacksonville. That's None of those games are gimmies. And I know we talked about Florida potentially having a favorable path to get to the Georgia game with one loss. 
and we're, we're reminded with this one, it would have been different if they came up and, and looked ready to go in this football game, looked like they had turned the corner and they show up to Lexington and, and they win against a team that, that was that was unbeaten coming in with only double-digit victories. But that, that just was not the case. They were not the better football team. And now you're looking at the schedule going, man, I don't, I don't know how many of those, those games away from Gainesville we're going to be able to get. Yeah, and I mean, and, and I said this in the preview pod, it's like, you know, you watch them against a team like Tennessee and you think like they're starting to do things correctly. Like you see what the version of this team is and it's like, okay, like you're, you're getting these pieces moving, you're, you're, you know, yeah, you have like this limited roster or whatever, but th- this, okay, let's start here. The whole joke about the completion percentage, Graham Mertz is so much more clearly fit for this offense than Anthony Richardson is. And I think that we like, Agreed. you know, talked yeah. about that in the, in the preseason. However, you know, when you see, and, and remember my eval of him was literally, he finds a way to create turnovers without taking risks. And we literally saw that and it swung this game because on like, I think it was third down, he had an easy completion to his guy where he airmailed it about a yard, or not a yard, a foot and a half too high. The dude had to go get up and grab it and it bounced off his hands and right into the Kentucky defender. Um, and it's like, it's, it's just tough because... When like Graham Mertz is a fine quarterback and honestly probably one of the best parts of this team. Um, but with a quarterback like that, you have to play pretty close to mistake free football the way that they did at UL because it's designed to lean on you and crush you the way that they did against Tennessee. And when this offense gets behind, as we've seen over and over and over again, it's like they have no prayer. We saw it against Vandy last year where they got behind and it was like, stick a fork in this team. Even with Andy Richardson who could throw the ball 80 yards down the field, they don't have the plays to, to make up a deficit. And if you're saying, all right, well, why don't they stretch the field more? Caleb Douglas can make some plays. Ricky Pearsall can catch anything in his in his radius. Are you protecting Graham Mertz? You trusting him with those deep drops? You trusting him in those positions to be able to to buy time? No, you, you can't at this point. And that's why you're still searching for what exactly that offensive identity is going to look like. And even if you feel like you have, you should have a really good run game. You see in instances like this against disciplined teams why that can be so difficult. And when you get behind schedule like Florida does, it makes it an uphill climb. Nice win for Kentucky, 5-0 and heading into the Georgia game. Very interesting Georgia game. That game is at night. A lot of Georgia fans who are saying, oh, man, the night games, we just don't get enough of them. We're not, we're not really – we don't really get the move-the-needle night games at, at home anymore. I think that one's got a little bit of a different feel to it. There are a lot of people who are going to look at what Ray Davis did and what Georgia looks like defending the run and go, yeah, you never know. I think CD might already be on record calling for the Kentucky upset in this one. Yeah, I mean, and and the the thing is, too, is it's like you just like they're literally like Devin Leary and the receivers getting together away from being like a legitimately almost great team. It's it's hard to say that about Kentucky because they kind of play this different style and you never know about Stoops. Stoops is another guy like away from home we've seen could be a little bit of a challenge. But yeah, I mean, it's so annoying because you see like the the clips of like Leary in the pregame, like looking awesome and like talking to everybody and firing everybody up. This guy looks awesome. This guy looks like a lad. He looks like he's like on... And it's so weird to see guys just drop these bunnies. And it's like, is he just delivering the ball like Jameis style at 90 miles an hour? Like, why does this offense look so weird? Guys are open. It's it's bizarre. It's two things. What I had been told in the offseason from a pretty credible person was that these receivers, um, while talented, while electric, while set up for success, do not have the discipline that a Wondell Robinson had. Don't quite get oh, it. Yeah. Don't quite get it. Don't quite get what it means to be good week in, week out in this conference. 
think mm-hmm. you're seeing that play out. I also think this this is a theory. I, I have I don't have as much knowledge behind this one, but if we did find this out, it wouldn't surprise me. I think the ball comes out of Devin Leary's hands a little a, a little bit odd post surgery. Talked about hmm. that Dr. James Andrews procedure on the torn pack. Never seen that in a quarterback before. And there's still a little bit of that like figuring out process with some of his throwing motion in real time. It's one thing to do that against air. It's one thing to do it against practice. But when push comes to shove and you're live and you have to adjust those arm angles and you have to do a lot of different things, I think that's still perhaps hindering him a little bit. So I mm-hmm. think it's a combination of of those things right now that has limited this Kentucky passing offense. They still need to get it figured out. I'm not really holding my breath on that as much as yeah. I thought I would coming into the season. But and, and the reason why I even am bringing that up because it's like, yo, like you guys have probably the best O line in the SEC from what we've seen. Whoa, 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 whoa. Kentucky? Kentucky does not have the best offensive line in the SEC. Who do you think it is? Th- that that group with how much they struggled last year and with how much they've struggled at times this year. I I don't even know if Kentucky is a top five offensive line in the SEC. I'll take Georgia's offensive saying- line. What I'm saying is we, we played what was the best run defense in the SEC and completely pushed them into the dirt when it mattered. So who's who right now could you convincingly say could do that? Because, you know, Georgia can't do it. Alabama can't do it. I don't I, know I what LSU's Alabama, got going on. I, I think Alabama could do it. I, I think Alabama's I think Alabama's figured some things out in the ground game with, with their offensive. Because they played Mississippi State. Because Kentucky's <laughs> – I mean, Kentucky's played – Kentucky played Vandy, and I mean, we don't disrespect Joe Moorhead on this podcast, but we played Akron. No, I got you. I, this is like a more of like a preview topic. I get. It. I'm just saying, like their offensive line has figured. Like it seems like they got it together at the right time. They have. I'm saying this, there's lots of good. There's lots to like about this team. The offensive line is playing really well. They have great. They have a great D line. They have really, really good DBs. Their quarterback looks awesome. They just got to get that connection figured out. So I'm not trying to harp on their negatives because they did so much right on Saturday. I'm just saying, like, dang, they're like one thing away from me really starting to buy it. So I'm yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I understand mm-hmm. what you're saying. Okay, Bama, Mississippi State. A historic night in Starkville. It was, Will. Will Rogers became the first quarterback in a Mississippi State uniform since a certain Dak Prescott, 2014, to throw a touchdown pass against Alabama. So, look, I was on that I was on that in June, I think. I came out with that. Saw mm-hmm. a lot of people tweeting about that tonight. A lot of people. I don't know if that made the game notes or something like that, but mm-hmm. I'm, you heard it here first. Just, just saying. History, indeed. Um, yeah, no, not so much. Uh, nothing in terms of stopping a, a losing streak that's now at, what, 16 years. Mm-hmm. They did not stop the game after that for um, like to celebrate it or anything, believe it or not. <laughs> like the little they, Drew Brees certificate they yeah. gave for Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, Ronald Acuna, 70th stolen base, whatever. Uh, didn't uh, They stopped it for the extra point, so I guess that counts, I guess. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, th- this was just more of the same in this matchup. Bama rolled, never had any doubt that Bama was going to lose this football game once it began. Saw glimpses, I thought, of what this Bama offense aspires to be. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to execute that blueprint week in, week out. Jalen Milrose's second pass attempt came with five minutes left in the first half. Isn't that crazy? He was one for one for 27 yards for a long time. And he ends up mm-hmm. 10 for 12, 164 yards, really efficient day. Didn't turn the football over, had the 51-yard touchdown run. I thought it was significant that in a matchup that was lined up so well for the Bama passing game, we talked about that 
all the Mississippi State struggles that they have had on the back end against Power 5 competition. Tommy Reese stuck to that game plan. He didn't say, I'm going to throw the football 30 times. I'm going to try and attack their biggest weakness. I'm going to instead look inward. I'm going to say, what do we need to do to put ourselves in the best possible place to succeed? And you know what? He was right. No Bama turnovers. Nearly 200 rushing yards. Offensive line looked good. Defense picked off Will Rogers three times. Mm-hmm. We even had Saban getting fired up on the sideline, which as we found out in the post game was per the encouragement of Miss Terry, of course. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is what Bama would like to be able to do. This is also a team that Bama has beat like a drum on an annual basis for the last 16 years. So if you are saying after watching this game, Bama has title upside based on what you saw in Starkville. I'd say look a little bit deeper at the lack of faith that still exists in the passing game. Tell me if you think these Bama receivers are going to be trusted to make big time plays against quality competition, because I still don't, but I do think the thing that's progressing very well, despite the fact that they're looking like they're going to be without Deontay Lawson, who is off to a great start as uh, was one of the, those stud Bama linebackers. It looks like they're going to be without him for a little bit. Um, that defense is playing well. It's playing really, really well. They have turned things around since the Texas game. Chris Braswell, that guy is heading right towards an all-SEC season. Go figure, though, that the prove that you're for real test for the Bama defense next week against the A&M offense. That's going to be a great game. Field. That's going to be a great yep. game. I'm really excited, excited for that one. That. Yeah. I'm really excited. But more of the same. A lot of, a lot of what you could have expected if you were just – if you're the, the casual college football fan – Casual mm-hmm. SEC fan, if you had been told, hey, this is how Bama, Mississippi State is going to play out, you'd be like, yep, that's okay. That, that, that's what I know. This is joyless murder ball. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yeah. Th- this isn't just joyless ball. This was joyless murder ball. You're exactly yeah, right. They murdered those boys. <laughs> they did. And Mississippi State, um, where do you go from here? You, you go play Western Michigan and and have people feel good. That, that's, that's where you go. <laughs> you really – every feel-good game has not felt so good for Mississippi State. We'll see. Uh, Western Michigan is Basura. Basura. Uh, they, they were the team. They, they were the team that I picked to not cover twenty eight and a half against Iowa, right? Yeah, they, I think yeah, they were fair. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Bama taking care of business. Uh, a question that we had two weeks ago about how was this going to look on the road? Jalen Milrow, first road start, first road mm-hmm. start to not have any mistakes. I think that's the positive takeaway for Bama. But in terms of big picture things about either of these teams. I don't necessarily know that this game changed any of those thoughts for me. Yep. I'm hundred percent right there. It, it's not like, like I said, I don't want to like completely discredit everything. I think the Bama just beat the snot out of these guys, but we both thought they would like, so it's one of those things that's like, if I go into the game thinking Bama is built to beat the snot out of this team and they do it, I don't then go, I'm shocked by this. I just, this is what I've come to expect in this rivalry. And I think this is a perfect time to play a team like this for Alabama. Like that's the thing you can look at as a positive is like, okay, well, you know, we don't have like this dynamic, like, like, like we don't even, we're not going to get pushed the way that we were against Ole Miss in the first half. We're just going to run, like figure out what our style is basically against the CPU on rookie. And like, that's what they got to do. So yeah, I think that that actually does help them in seeing, oh, they got like Chandler Miller not creating turn- turnovers. Maybe it's like the opposite of seeing the ball go through the hoop. Like it's not seeing the ball pop out of your hand that you start to get used to. And you're like, maybe I can win without trying to make the big play. And we've seen it. Yeah. I think that was probably a smart move to not air it out a billion times and put more like kind of like questionable tape out there like do what works for you and then make teams stop it and then go somewhere else you don't have to like show a billion things that's i think that's his first start against power five competition that he hasn't had a pick 
mm. if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Because the Arkansas game, he didn't start. Right. Um, but yeah, the ball security issue. Just get out of a game feeling good. You want to have positive interactions. We talked about that. It's going to be a weird reference, but talk about that with uh, Rudy is still figuring out how to behave around Claire. Mm-hmm. And so we try and keep their interactions kind of limited. He always wants to just bite the top of her head. It's really annoying. Oh, no. I know. It's not ideal. It's not ideal. Aww. You see all the pictures. You see all the content on Instagram of like pets hanging around babies and it's like their best friends and it's it's adorable. Uh, for a lot of us, it's it's a little bit of a different reality. You try and keep those experiences limited and just come away from it feeling good and feeling like mm-hmm. you turn the corner. We're like, all right, Rudy, your five minutes is kind of up. We're going to take Claire somewhere else. We're going to do something else with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's so Jalen Milrow in this instance is Rudy <laughs> biting the top of Claire's head. Yeah, and and Claire, I guess, is the turnovers that the Jalen Milrow has caused. Yeah, of course. She's Nick Saban. She's just like, ah! Yeah, seriously. All right, let's stay in the West. A&M, Arkansas. This game in Jerry Will. Uh, uh, Jerry World, not Jerry mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. I saw KJ rocking the shades. He had the fresh suit in the pregame. Mm-hmm. Looked like a, a cooler version of a barbershop quartet suit. I don't know what that was. The mm-hmm. fit was fire. I love seeing it from my QB1. And I thought for a moment, for a moment in time, wait, did I doubt my guy? D- did I doubt KJ by picking against him coming mm-hmm. into this game? Am I stupid? Am I going to regret this? Is he about to have a day for the ages in which I say that's why he's QB1? That's why KJ Jefferson is a guy that you go to bat for? <sighs> But then I watched this Arkansas offensive line mm-hmm. and I was reminded that all I want to do when I watch them um, protect, operate, whatever you want to call it. I'll throw it in air quotes, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I just want to slam my head into a wall watching them. They're so bad. They're so bad. A&M, I think, had – I lost count. I think the final number was 96 TFLs in this game. Felt like it. Felt like it. It wasn't 96. It was like 15, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. But, that's the good news for A and M. This defense. oh my gosh, it was fifteen. That's so it was fifteen. Many. That's 15. so many. <laughs> Look, if how do you even watch that film, knowing that every what third or fourth play that you have, dudes getting into the backfield and and putting mm-hmm. you off schedule? That sucks. That absolutely sucks. Uh, that's the good news for A and M, though, is that they've kind of quietly been much improved defensively since the Miami game. Favorable matchups, obviously. Auburn's offense, we talked about those issues. This Arkansas mm-hmm. offense, they obviously have their issues. But it's it's bad. It's bad. I, I went from loving, just loving to watch KJ play football to it's now. It's like sad now, man. It's like I like cringe when I watch him play. I, I haven't experienced this yet as a parent of watching my kid play sports, but the angst that comes with it. But I would assume this is like when you're watching your kid play a sport that they're not particularly good at. Right. And you just, you just wince. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really, really tough. It, and it was great to see rocket back. I didn't think that he was going to be playing in this one. I probably should have dug a little bit deeper in some of the pregame conversation. You kind of look back kind of makes more sense why he was able to go. And, and he had a nice play in this one where he gets moving on the screen. You see what he can do in the open field, but you can tell behind an offensive line that he doesn't have confidence in. Mm-hmm. And that's not really paving running lanes open for him, like we saw with Judkins with Ole Miss. It's just going to be tough sledding. It's just going to be tough sledding. I feel so bad for those two guys that this is what they're subjected to. It's it's really really bad. It's really really bad. 
But Anna, Anna, that was the Max Johnson experience right there. Oh my gosh. Yes. He had a play where he almost threw the turnover like um like Tennessee did, where he was like falling backwards and he threw it up in the air. And I was like, yes, let's go. I love watching that dude play. He's so electric and he's so good. Like he again started like perfect from the field, had a tutty. It was like, yeah, this like from from the jump was dominating. And then the pick six to start off the second half. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, seen this one before. Uh the fumble was pretty bad too. Kind of <laughs> Does Max Johnson, do we have to have a conversation with Max Johnson and say, you realize you might be the son of big Brad, big bad Brad. Mm-hmm. You do not have that man's arms. You don't. Even though you're 6'6", somehow, you don't have a strong arm. <laughs> right, look, the, the guns that they kept showing, man, Brad is, whew, I'm tell- I told y'all look up big bad Brad. That's a dude right there. He ain't missing any protein shakes, that's for sure. Man, dude is still thick. Um, but yeah, he just I, I just I, I think this offense is gonna be fine. I, I mm-hmm. still believe that they're they're gonna be absolutely fine. That ball that he had to Evan Stewart on the first touchdown, dime. Dime. Mm-hmm. Probably the best throw all day that I saw an SEC quarterback make. Just absolutely beautiful. And then when Stewart made that jumping grab on the sideline as he got smoked. Just absolutely smoked. Got taken out of the game after it, testing him for the concussion. That that's why you want a guy like Max Johnson out there. He's mm-hmm. gonna give those guys a chance to make ridiculous plays. And even though he's gonna do those frustrating things every once in a while, I guess he's mashing all the buttons, whatever he's doing. He's he's not minimum Johnson. He's Max no. Johnson. <laughs> yes, he is Max Johnson for sure. Um, man, it, you're just reminded. This is an offense that has firepower. And that includes Anaya Smith, who delivered the dagger, 82-yard punt return score. Cool cool moment for him. Same game last year where he suffered the season-ending injury. Um, and to, to have that full circle, great for him to be able to experience that. Here's a stat that I that I dug up that I think shows some context and why I've been so high on this AM offense to start the year. AM, five games with Robert Patrick Petrino running this offense. They've hit mm-hmm. at least 27 points in all of those games. And I know that they had um, they had a defensive touchdown in this game too. But still, you've had five games where you've hit 27 points. The last time the Jimbo Fisher coach team had five consecutive 27-point games in a season was when, Well, 2020? Mm-mm. Wow, not even then. Yeah, I, I guess, was it 2013 FSU? <laughs> 2014 FSU. Yep. Ah, there you go. So – that hadn't happened since Jameis was in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. These are the things that you are – the more we talk about things that haven't happened since Jimbo was coaching Jameis, that's how you know this A&M offense is heading in the right direction. I mm-hmm. think they very much are. I think they're getting a little bit more balance. They need to keep those receivers healthy. They do. They absolutely do. But, man, they just – they keep coming. They attack downfield. And I find myself wondering, okay – can AM split these next two games? They have home against Bama next week. Even when they've been Basura the last two years, they have played Bama down to the wire, beat them once. Obviously, could have beat them last year with a competent goal line play call. And then they go to Tennessee, a matchup that I really hated for AM in the preseason. I'm still not particularly high on. But the question is can they go into late October still in the hunt? If you split those two, you're still in the hunt in the West because obviously the Miami lost on conference play. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's crazy. Talk, talk me in or talk me out of that. 
No, I think what we've seen, you know, is this is probably the second best team in the West right now. I mean, they don't have these like obvious glaring flaws. I mean, I just think better better than you, LSU. Do you think they're they're better than LSU or better than Bama? Or where, I would their, not that play field? that defense against Hoover High School. That's what I'm telling you. LSU has such bad glaring flaws. Like with LSU, they have a better offense probably, but a worse defense. And like, it's not like AM has this great defense. Like I said, but at the same time, like I think TVD is just that guy. Like I've been saying that forever. And yeah, it's like yeah, you played like some struggling offenses. Like I'm not here to credit Auburn. I'm not here to credit. Arkansas when they're not playing LSU, but at the same time, it's like I think they're the most complete team, probably. Uh, well, it's, okay, all right. I, I think they're they're still a team with flaws because everybody's flaws. Everybody oh yeah, there's no great teams. That's the other thing. But when you compare them to the obvious flaws of other teams, it's like yeah, you guys can even with your backup quarterback. And this thing about Max Johnson, he's mobile. Like so, yeah, he'll create some. He's kind of like. Uh, I mean, this might upset some people. He's like a more developed Jalen Milrow. It's like he has these turnovers, but he also takes the chances. And you know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, he, but he's better at controlling the football is what he does a little bit better. You want the most lukewarm SEC West take ever? Yes. Here it is. Yes. Here it is. There are two tiers in the SEC West. Mm-hmm. Bama, A&M, LSU, Ole Miss. Tier one, mm-hmm. tier two, Arkansas, Auburn. Mississippi State. Yep. Is that underthinking it? I. Is no, there, that sounds about right. Yeah. And Bama fans are probably saying we're not in the same tier as, as A&M or we're not in the same tier as Ole Miss. We dominated Ole Miss last week. It's like played a really good second half, played a really good second half, but we still need to see consistently. Okay. Dominate this division then dominate mm-hmm. this division. I think until further notice, that's kind of how I would approach this. And I think Teams within those tiers are probably going to beat up on each other. That's yep. kind of the way I see this playing out. And if you think, oh, Auburn, if you, you think that you're, you're, you belong in that top tier because you play Georgia really competitively eh, the week mm-mm, prior. Mm-mm. No, uh, I don't think Auburn fans. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think they also watch the AM game. <laughs> exactly. I would hope that they watch the AM game. Or if they didn't, go back and watch it. You probably have a DVR. Okay. South Carolina, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. In many ways, a lot of ways, this was an ideal night for Tennessee. You avenged last year's ugly loss against South Carolina in a big way. You kind of got the last laugh on Spencer Rattler, right? The doubt that crept in about Tennessee's defensive front after the Florida game, I think it's faded. James Pierce is so freaking good. That guy is awesome. I want to retroactively put him on the all bang the drum team. I can't do that. Those are set in stone spots. But the good news, all bang the drum team member, Squirrel White, Best game of the year that he's had. I thought I thought he was going to have a lot of these types of games throughout the year mm-hmm. where it's like a 50-yard completion, passes the century mark, kind of looks like that sort of dude for Joe Milton. Ground game still looks really, really good. All those are positives. All those are positives, and Tennessee fans should feel great about that. But, but that the Brew McCoy injury sucked. Yeah. That sucked. Oh, man. Don't watch the replay. Don't do it. Don't do it. Even if you're a sicko, don't do it. Um, it's bad. It's really bad. You know, it's bad when the opposing team immediately turns their head away. It is like, you can tell they're visibly bothered by it. Joe Milton mm-hmm. also very visibly bothered by it. Tom shared on the broadcast that the entire, I, I don't know if this is the entire, but there was a lot of family members of Brew McCoy that were in town from California at this game. Oh, man. And you're gutted for the guy. You're absolutely gutted for him. Because remember, last year, he's eligible. Found out that he was eligible from the NCAA like 
days before the start of the season. I think it was like August 26th that that guy was ruled eligible after he transferred from USC. This is a former five-star guy. Nobody ever has sympathy for the five-star guy, but you see the approach that, that he has. And last year, the catch that he makes in traffic to set up the game when he field goal against Bama had an excellent year, was a real contributor on the number one offense in America, came in as a preseason All-SEC guy, hoped to have an even bigger role in this offense. And in game number five, ah, man, I don't, I don't know what the medical redshirt looks like, but it sucked. It absolutely yeah. sucked, and I hated watching it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, I'm there. I'm there with you. It sucks, like you know, when you when you're watching like one of these games, and like you're, you're so like caught up in the moment, and then something like that happens, and you kind of do that whole thing. Where you step back, and you're just like, this is all stupid. I hope that guy's okay. So that's exactly how I felt watching that one. Yeah, and look, I think that you know TBD on on what his future holds and everything, but I just love the approach. I love the approach. My guy Ben McKee said that Joe Milton said afterwards that he didn't even want to go back on the field because. He knows how hard Brew McCoy works. I think five-star guys who transfer, they kind of they kind of throw this tag on them. Ah, those guys, they're kind of divas or you know, they can't really make it work anywhere. Brew McCoy had a very eventful start to his career. But mm-hmm. I, I love the guys who you hear you hear that from teammates and you see it in their play. Brew McCoy tackling that guy, he, that he never takes the easy way out. That guy's always catching balls in traffic. He's always fighting for that extra yard. It's kind of fitting that that, that was the way. It was like sandwiched between two South Carolina defenders, just an awkward landing for him. Um, and you're just, you just feel terrible. And sports can be very, very cruel. And that, that, felt, that felt cruel watching that play out, hoping for the best for him. Hope that we have many more days of Brew McCoy doing his thing ahead. But wanted mm-hmm. to bring that up. Um, because I think otherwise for Tennessee fans, he felt mostly good. Uh, Joe Milton had a couple of picks in this one. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was necessarily some earth shattering revelation of, oh my God, we think so differently about Joe Milton now. Um, <laughs> the only earth shattering thing was that Tim Banks said, Connor, your advice kind of sucked. Drop a coverage against South Carolina. No, 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 no. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to trust my defensive line to get home and I'm going to dial up these unique blitz packages. I'm going to watch the South Carolina offensive line just absolutely crumble yep that that worked that worked <laughs> better game plan than the one that i drew up for you uh there, there's a mm-hmm. reason why you are making seven figures to do this job and i am not that was the worst game that spencer rather has played this year in my opinion xavier Leggett. if you're holding that guy under the century mark like tennessee did that's a win for you mm-hmm. we talked about this south carolina they might beat a couple of those teams that they're not supposed to beat this year on the road i'm not there i'm not there they're not built right now with the flaws that they have to go into a venue like that and win. They're not. Not with how much this team is struggling in the trenches and how limited they are in terms of depth at the skill positions outside of Rattler and Legat. It was nice, nice long touchdown run from Mario Anderson. It looks like he should be the guy. He should be the RB1 for them. But this offense is still pretty limited, and we knew that coming in. I think they're really going to appreciate having that bye week come up because – they, they look like a team that, that needs to find some answers. Otherwise, they'd be fighting for six and six. That's that's reality for South Carolina. Here's like a wild comparison, but I think it I think it tracks. Okay. Uh, I have always, as a younger Saints fan, tried to imagine what Archie Manning looked like playing for the Saints. And I think Spencer Rattler playing for South Carolina is exactly what oh, that looked like. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I, I was watching him run around for his life and like chuck the ball up. And like there was a play, I was like kind of talking about Spencer Rattler. And there was a play where it was third and like 14. He's like running around, like, like do- dodging guys. 
he runs for 12 yards and like tries to stake the ball to the ground for 14. He just doesn't get there. And I'm like, this is literally like watching a dude atone for something. Like, I don't know how he ended up. Yeah, but going, it's, it's funny that you were talking, or not funny, but like interestingly, you were talking about five stars transferring because we've seen that kind of in this game. You know, like with Brew McCoy is a guy who's kind of reinvented himself in Tennessee. And then, yeah, Spencer Rattler, it's like, you, we are all now like, I've watched a human being mature in Spencer Rattler, I think more than I ever have in college because you just see him and he's just like, guys, like, we got to win this one. And then, yeah, to your point, like, he's not faultless. Like, he definitely has made bad plays. And like, the pick six was bad. Like, I bad. remember looking at that and just being like, what do you see there? Like, kind of just that was an old Rattler play. That was and pressure caused yeah. that, but it was still like the type of thing, the type of throw yep. where you're like, ah, yeah, you're still probably going to have one or two of those moments per game. Yep, and like that's kind of the danger of a guy with those tendencies putting him with this talent and this offensive line is that he's going to do stuff like that. And so while I'm still behind the guy and I think he's a great player, it's just obviously not enough to overcome everything else they have going on, which is, you know, and again, we'll take away the defensive touchdown as we often do. Your defense is still giving up 35 points and Spencer Rattler is like not enough to, you know, overcome that. Yeah, and maybe I'm just giving him more of the benefit of the doubt. Um mm-hmm. You kind of need that. You can't have that guy that's constantly throwing behind, you know, in front of the yep. sticks. And, and when he's laying out to to get a touchdown on the goal line, and he's putting his body in the line. He's doing his best yep. Jim McMahon imitation. Anything less than that, for, forget whatever sliver of a chance you have of winning that football game. That, that's completely gone if he's not doing things like that. Now, obviously, yep. you need to the the accuracy has to be able to be there, and you can't be making mistakes like that, facing pressure and sailing receivers, all that stuff. But yeah, I mean they, they were pulling out everything. When when Beamer is pulling out the the Kai Kroger pass, <laughs> yeah, you know that he's he's searching for anything. Like last year against Florida, when he had the only touchdown pass of that game, um, you know that he knows he's up against it. And uh, South Carolina very much was was up against it in this game. And I think Tennessee avoiding a sixty minute football game and feeling like <laughs> you're in a a decent place, a decent place. After and not spiraling post Florida, I think that's kind of the encouraging thing uh, for this program, which has strengths, has legitimate strengths. It's just a very different team than last year, at which I don't know that a lot of people expected that coming in. I think they expected the Vols to to take on the traits of last year's team and sort of embody that, it, just mm-hmm. because we've seen it play out with Hypel in that specific way. But I just think this team has a very different DNA, and it, they're going to be without. Mc- a brew McCoy for a bit. Maybe that, that DNA will kind of shift again and you're going to have to find more of that, that leadership on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I think too, it's like, you know, uh, I think we were pretty, pretty correct about the Joe Milton hype being a little bit overblown. Yep. And, uh, and I, I think it just is what it is. And, you know, it's, it's, this is my only thing about that at this point is like, I wish we saw a little bit more bazooka and less Joe in this one. Like, if you're going to have the turnovers, just sling it, dude. Like, don't – like, it felt like this was just a lot of, like, locking on Squirrel White, and it wasn't like we saw the little bit of, like, what we saw at the beginning of the Florida game or, like, what we've seen him do well. So, it's interesting. It's like he's starting to get, like, uh, risk-averse, but it's not stopping the turnovers, which is weird. No Dante Thornton in this one. Yeah, Bruce Andrew McCoy. McCoy going down, I guess, also. Like, that's probably a little bit unfair with that guy who's usually the guy who does that. Yeah, and you know your running game is really good. You know your running yeah. game has that advantage up front. So I, I love Dylan Sampson, by the way. That guy's that guy a, a fun, fun player. Tennessee just has dudes on dudes on dudes in that backfield. And if they, mm-hmm. they're obviously going to need game script at certain points to have that advantage maximized. But still, like what we've seen so far from that group. All right, last one of the day. Mizzou. Vandy, speaking of history, history mm-hmm. in this game. 
when your buddies ask you the question, hey, who's the SEC record holder for most passes without an interception? No longer is the answer to that great trivia question that has been asked in countless bar establishments across the southeastern region of this great country. No longer is the answer Andre Woodson. It's Brady mm-hmm. Cook. Brady oh, yeah. Cook. 326 passes breaks the record. Career high in this game. 395 passing yards, four touchdowns. Luther Burden, still a machine. Uh, stop me if you've heard this before. Nobody can cover that guy. 11 catches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. Should have had a third touchdown. Kind of review that didn't necessarily favor him. I don't know why they didn't give him a touchdown. Looked like he was in. Uh, but this was all about avoiding embarrassment for Mizzou. That was it. Mm-hmm. Look, Mandy, I'm not trying to take too much of a dig at you, but you understand here. Mizzou won its first game as a ranked team against a Power 5 team since 2014. Mm-hmm. How do you change the national conversation about you? Uh, you don't crap the bed when you get inside the AP Top 25. What mm-hmm. has Mizzou done when it's got inside the AP Top 25 since 2014? Crap the bed. Lost three of those opportunities. Lost to teams that were a combined 6-19 and 19 in conference play in those matchups. Mm-hmm. So not even particularly good teams, but still awesome. That's that's the tough thing. Now you've got a 5-0 and o team. You're inside the top 25. Your offense is feeling really, really good. You've got a defensive coordinator that actually has a clue. You've got a quarterback looking like he took that personally when he got booed against Kansas State. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Here's a question for you, Will. This game coming up, LSU at Mizzou. Stop. Give, give me – Here's no, no, no. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm sorry. I'm just imagining Brady Cook carving up our defense. It just makes me so sad because I know it's going to happen. Okay, so so then answer this. Scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being bet the farm, 100% confident, not worried at all, and 10 being like freshman Bo Nix when he saw pressure, that kind of panic. That was also unnecessary. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Freshman Bo was the bad part. I thought you were talking about the Bo Nix that slammed LSU, my bad. No, no. Um, how worried are you for, for LSU and this defense at Mizzou? I mean, it couldn't be more. I mean, I'm, at this point, like, literally, I gave Ten? up on this defense. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, dude, after that game, that's the thing. Like, Jackson Dart was coming off of, like, not a great game against Bama. Brady Cook is playing the best football of his career at home. And, like, that's the thing is it's like, yeah, I, I looked down the schedule. And, and, like, in the preview, I looked through the quarterbacks I was scared of. And I think that I am now scared of all of them. But specifically, when you when – you, like I said, it's like seeing the ball go through the hoop. When you can attempt 41 passes in the SEC – when you have done, you know, the, broken these records with uh, no turnovers, you start feeling yourself. You know, you got your coach saying nice things about you. You got like, you know, you're you're able to get the ball to Luther Bird. That's the other part of it. We got to cover Luther Bird. I don't know how that Luther Bird might have 300 receiving yards, and Brady Cook might have 305 passing yards. I don't know who in the world <laughs> on that LSU defense is covering Luther Bird, and who could Brian Kelly get from the transfer portal to play immediately? Um, doesn't have to be current players, just anybody that has eligibility at some point in their career still left on the table. Could he pull a Clemson kicker about to go take a job in New York, bring him, as Dabo said, off the beach um, to come play DB? I don't know if yeah. there's anybody out there like that, but if you're LSU, you'll take anything at this point. Any Anything that you can possibly have to slow down Luther Burden, uh, it's, it is an all-hands-on-deck Type effort. And here's here's the tough thing too. Mizzou's mm-hmm. other receivers are starting to play really well. Theo East is starting to come into his own. The former Oklahoma transfer. Mm-hmm. 
who looks like he is becoming a true complimentary type guy. That offense is just like, it's kind of weird to say because you lose Dom Lovett to Georgia and you're thinking to yourself, if you're, and he's honestly kind of in the worst situation. He's in a more crowded situation for sure. For sure. And we're seeing that play out. Mm -hmm. Whereas like last year, and we're seeing this with Brady Cook. He targets the slot a ton. That is a yep. safety valve for him. And Luther Burden transitioning to the slot, the position yep. that Dom Lovett used to play almost exclusively, has kind of opened up this Mizzou offense into maximizing its potential. And so you're looking at that matchup going, man, we can't, I don't even know if we can, if you're LSU, if you can put like your number one corner out there. How's how's that matchup? I, I don't know, man. <laughs> You're going to try and throw a variety of guys. If you're sticking linebackers out there, if there is an instance in which Matt House is saying, you know who's got the most speed on our team is this Harold Perkins cap. Let's see what he can do against Luther Burton. Turn in your turn in your clipboard, your headset, everything. Do not do not pass go. Do not collect $200 and come up with a new plan to stop Luther Burton. Yeah, I hate how that's like almost not a joke because it's like he's playing him in a position he doesn't belong in anyway. So it's like what's is closer to doing that than he is using him effectively. Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, not not to like. Yeah, I I seriously have been like I said, you guys need to do something to where I'm not bored of this crap at Mizzou. I am no longer bored of this crap. I am scared of this crap. <laughs> this crap is coming down the road like a train at LSU right now, and I'm actually scared of Brady Cook. And I didn't actually like. I, again, I want to be clear. This year, I've not been Mizzou doubter. I picked them against Kansas State. I said, let's see something. They've shown me that, and I just – as they've shown me a lot more than LSU's defense, I think we are going to have – here. okay, spin zone. Here we go. You as a as a non-LSU fan are going to enjoy this. Every single LSU game is just going to be the Jaden Daniels show. This is probably going to be two quarterbacks over at least 300 passing yards. This is probably going to be uh, NFL scouts are going to be dialed into this to watch Luther and to watch those two receivers at LSU and maybe Jaden as well. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun game. Not so much for me, but for you. If you could have Blake Baker, Mizzou defensive coordinator, former oh linebackers God, coach bro. at LSU, <laughs> if you could trade him and just have him on the LSU sideline for this game and trade coordinators, how, what what kind of point swing are we talking about? Like 28 points? Brother, I would trade you for Matt House right now. All right? Yeah. I mean, 28 seems – 28 seems – that seems a little bit grab to say about 21 20 kind of that range, but yeah, I mean, Baker, that's the thing. Baker was like great for us, especially with like working with the linebackers and everything. So I don't know, but yeah, I, I think that they, they have done, they have benefited long-term from the classic fire Barry Odom effect where you eventually figure out your defense from just not employing this dude. And now they finally kind of turned it around. Can I say my only fear for Mizzou? Mizzou fans. Okay. You man. should feel good. You should feel really good. Yeah. So somewhere a Mizzou fan has thought of what I'm about to say. I promise hmm. you that it's probably Adam Spencer. If Mizzou is six and two going into November, Drake is getting that extension. He's getting another one. Well, he just got one. He had another extension. If he was able to go to the negotiating the negotiating table and get that deal last year, can mm-hmm. you imagine six and two? Oh my god. They're gonna win a national Wait, championship. That's the best part. What if they're 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 uh, AD? I don't mean to put you on uh, on on the uh, spot, but her name is like Desiree, I believe. And like we were just kind of joking about that when that happened. It was like, wow, this is such an overpay. What if now he's locked in and it's an underpay? What if now they, that was the smartest deal ever, and now they just got their guy? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, it, look, you know, Mizzou has good things working in its favor with the NIL thing with high school recruits. If you stay in state, mm-hmm. you can get that NIL money. Smart advantage. It's going to help them in recruiting. Get all those things. Desiree Reed Francois, I believe that's her name. I believe that's Mizzou AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, if 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 you get that call from Drake's agent, I think he's a 
is he a Jimmy Sexton client? I think he's a Jimmy Sexton client. I just oh, assume no. everybody in the SEC is. Uh, if you get that call, I don't know. Just say you're busy. <laughs> say, say let's talk in 2025. I don't know. You got time. You don't they're, have to answer that call. They're going to end up with one of those weird like NBA or like Case and Hill contracts where it's like 15 years of drink, but for like half of Jimbo's deal. Oh, <laughs> it's, oh, like he gets to be like 15 years and they get to be like, but it's not 300 yeah. million. Hold on. Yeah. All right. Let's end with a little yarn now. We've gone long here today. Uh, lots of recap. A few questions. Uh, let's start with this one. Yarna, a one-loss Notre Dame team who just took the soul of Duke. Lock of the week was sitting right there. Oh, mm-hmm. man, that was painful. A one-loss Notre Dame team still has a path to the playoff. Yeah, they got a, they got a path for sure. I mean, obviously, they got to play USC and another team that can't stop a nosebleed. So, yeah, I think they're sitting there. That one was really big, though, because Duke really looked like they were going to lock them down at the end, and they responded really well. Yeah, I, I think you got to beat USC, obviously. Yeah. If if they're eleven and one, and we get a little bit of chaos, I think Notre Dame will be in that conversation because, again, what I mentioned before, I could totally picture a world in which the playoff selection committee is saying, "Well, they get that goal line stand. If <laughs> we're going to get the playoff selection committee, whoever the chairman is this year, I always lose track of who it is. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to get them saying, "Well, you know what? If Notre Dame had just put an eleventh defender on the field, they probably would be undefeated right now. <laughs> get ready for that. They're going to make up a metric for it and be like defenders <laughs> per yards <laughs> given up." We're actually give them the benefit of the doubt. We, we think that could have gone either way. Okay, Yarna, Caleb Williams' first interception of the year should take him out of the Heisman race. <laughs> no, I just, I'm sick of that guy. I don't know. You know how I feel. I think he's great. He's going to be a great prospect. Why are you sick like... of Caleb Williams? No, can, can I ask, like, look, I think you mm-hmm. could be sick of the Lincoln Riley arc that's of it. his teams. That That's yeah. perfectly fine. If you're mm-hmm. sick of watching Caleb Williams play quarterback, dude, he is He's unreal. He is okay, you're unbelievable. Right. He He's is so catching strays. He's catching strays. You're right, because I'm sick of Lincoln Riley. That's yes. what it is. It's like I feel like I get bamboozled by these guys. And I, you know me. Like I love a fun team. So I'll get I'll get my knife and my fork out. I'll be ready to dig it and be like, I'm so ready for these guys to be good. And they find a way to I mean, that game becoming close is one of the most insane things I've ever seen. So you're right. I enjoy if I could just isolate Kelly Caleb Williams. He's kind of like last year he just kind of annoyed me, but I think that yeah, he's been playing out of his freaking mind this year. And I'd probably do the same thing if I did something that well, honestly. Here's where I'm at. I'm so mm-hmm. as a Bears fan, I'm so all in now. But you guys Caleb. have a franchise quarterback. Why do you need him? That was mean. That was re- I I didn't like that. I know I've I've Look, I've you'll need to try him out with a competent coaching staff. Is all I'm going to say because I don't think that dude became a bad football player in like four games. I don't know. Let's take Lincoln Riley. Let's take his brisket. Let's take Caleb Williams. Package deal. Mm-hmm. Name their Hire price. Him. Name yeah. whatever. Name their price. Get him up to Chicago. I don't care if they if they lose a big time game in the AFC or in the NFC Championship or something like that, or if they're a ten and six team with limitations and they don't defend a soul. I just want to see a good offense. I just want to see yeah. a good offense. That's all. That's all I root for. All right, last one, most important one. Yarna Taylor Swift should leave Travis Kelsey for Brock Bowers. <laughs> I think I think she would be problematic if she did that, but Brock Bowers is right on the path to be the next Kelsey. He's twenty. He turns 21 in December. Yeah, I know. She would just get canceled a lot because of, uh, you know, Brittany Renner did that with the dude from Kentucky. You got to watch out, you know, these days. If 21-year-old T-Swift can date, what, like 32-year-old Jake Gyllenhaal? Why can't why can't the, the, the inverse be true, too? What's equality? I'm, I'm just saying. Fair. Something can to keep in mind. Cougar for Brock Bowers. <laughs> hey, do what you can, man. Do what you can. Uh, Brock can do no wrong at this point. All right. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
where you can watch every single episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at Set Down South, at CGO Guerra, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.